In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. All right, Carla, ready to talk about crimes and misdemeanors? Uh, what? The next movie on my list, uh, number 15. Here we are. It's episode 86 on Craigslist. We're going to talk about my number 15 movie, Woody Allen's 1989 epic Crimes and Misdemeanors. <laughs> epic? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's uh, it's almost two hours. That's long for a Woody Allen movie, right? Um, I thought we were watching something else. What? I said at the end of last episode that it was a movie from the late 80s. Uh, that had dramatic and comedic elements, an older man, a younger man that involved crimes and misdemeanors. I mean, what? So I watched Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because that's what that movie is for me. Oh. <laughs> oh, now I see where the confusion lies. It's, yeah. It's like the same movie except it's better. I don't know if it's the same movie, <laughs> but there are certain surfacey elements that you might confuse for one another. Okay. Yeah, Martin Landau and Michael Caine both have kind of dashing mustaches. Same genre. Sure. Character. <laughs> character actor. Uh okay, well we have a we have a problem then. Oh man, I really wanted to talk about crimes and misdemeanors today. <laughs> I did watch half of Crimes and Misdemeanors. Actually, Craig's listeners, uh, let's set the record straight. We watched both movies. Carla watched about half of Crimes and Misdemeanors. And half of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> I think you watched all of Dirty Rotten no, Scoundrels. Uh, it took us a while. Bits and pieces. It took us a couple weeks to watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because it's it's such a difficult movie, I think, to, uh, it to get take into. It took us a couple weeks. It took us <laughs> two days. I fell asleep in the middle. But I love that movie. I've seen it like a hundred times for sure. A hundred? I bet. That seems hyperbolic. Well, fine. You can – like ha- it's frustrating for me to say something about myself and then for you to say that can't be true. <laughs> When I know it is true. I know how many times I watched this when I was a kid. Do you it think a hundred times is accurate? I mean, maybe 60. I don't know. Like many, many, many times I've seen this movie. Why did you watch it so much as a kid? I just thought it was so funny. My brother and I loved it. We just thought it was the funniest thing. We thought Steve Martin was hilarious in it. Did you watch a lot, a lot of other Steve Martin movies as a kid? Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, Three Amigos. <laughs> Why are you testing me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you really watched a lot of Steve Martin movies as a kid. And you're, well, I did. You're, Father of the Bride. Okay. All the other ones. Parenthood, which was actually a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Saw that in the theater. 1999, that came yep. out. Uh, did you see Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in the theater? I don't think so. I think I saw it on tape. On VHS. <laughs> That was how we watched movies back then. It was. Back then in the day. It sure was. Uh, yeah, but I just don't, I didn't, I've seen Crimes and Misdemeanors years ago. Didn't remember anything about it. Didn't like it the first time I saw it. Why didn't you like it? Um, I don't really remember. It just didn't resonate with me. 
Like I just didn't understand what the big deal was about it. Um, like, gosh, I just don't really care <laughs> about, I mean, it was, I was just about a guy who had an affair, basically this terrible person who had an affair. And then also it was, I felt like it was the same movie that, that Scarlett Johansson movie is that's Woody Allen made. Match point. Yeah. It's like the same movie. And he made a third movie that was almost the same movie. I think he's made more than three movies that have a similar plot point. Where the the guy's having an affair and then he kills the person he's having an affair with because she, God forbid, wants to be with him. Right? Well, uh, basically the idea of somebody trying to get away with a crime. Right. Yeah. But it's always that it's a guy killing a woman <laughs> that he has chosen to have an affair with. And then when she becomes too needy, is am I, am I misunderstanding? Yeah, I think Matchpoint has uh, has a similar plot. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Cassandra's Dream. Right. That's the other one I was thinking There's of. Irrational Man. I don't know what that is. Uh, Irrational Man is with Joaquin Phoenix. That's another Woody Allen movie. Okay. Um, I never saw that one. And I think he's like a philosophy professor who kills someone. Um, but that's maybe a little more like he's Raskolnikov from Crime and Punishment. Okay. A bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, here's the truth of what's going on, which is I think four of the next seven movies on the list are Woody Allen movies. Right. And there's a total of seven Woody Allens on the list, as we've covered many times. We've covered three of them already, Zelig, Purple Rose of Cairo, and Love and Death. Mm -hmm. And I think we're just kind of getting down to crunch time and knowing that we're going to have to cycle through these movies, uh, very quickly. Right. Um, th- it's a lot for Carla. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we'd so like discuss the Woody Allen thing already. Like just the, how problematic it is right now <laughs> to like publicly discuss some of these things. I think, um, we already, but we've already covered that in previous podcasts. So I don't feel like we need to do it again, but now we have, four opportunities to do it again. And so to kind of avoid to have having to have that conversation again, you guys can go back and listen to previous ones that we've done. I decided to write, to watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels instead. <laughs> okay. So you made an executive decision. Yeah. That that's what we're going to focus on today. Yeah. But not no, we don't have to focus on it. You can talk about crimes and misdemeanors and I'll respond in conversation about it with the parallels to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> This is an interesting experiment. It is. But don't, don't you agree? Like you were the one who said that we should do it like this because we have already talked about Woody Allen so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we've probably exhausted the, uh, the subject and there's, there's nothing left to say. Right. I think actually there is more to say. Uh, <laughs> and we'll say it today. Uh, but you actually like Annie Hall and Hannah and her sisters. So I do. I love those movies. Those movies yeah. not, might not be as problematic for you. No, they're still going to be problematic. <laughs> I mean, it's just, again, we've already talked about this, like how conflicted I feel about the whole Woody Allen thing. So, but we're doing this podcast and we've committed to following through with all 100 movies. So <laughs> I'm kind of painted my, I painted myself into a corner here. Uh, and I'm just doing my best to, you know, finish this list with you. 
Well, one episode per movie is what we've agreed on. Yeah. And we're, we're sticking to that format. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, many people recommended doing all of the rest of them as one episode, which I would have been fine with. But yeah, you have kind of set up the, 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 uh, structure for how this is going to be. That's how it works. That's the structure. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not bending Great. from that. Okay. Then I will watch other movies when I want to. <laughs> Uh, but you did honor your commitment to watch at least a third of the movie. I did, and yeah. you watched over that, uh, I believe. Yeah. Though I think you missed out on the, I think it is a movie that kind of gets better as it goes. But I've seen it too. Like I've already seen it. So. Yeah. And I, because I don't, I know that I've seen it and I don't remember much about it. I know that it didn't resonate with me the first time. Fair enough. And so I tried to watch it again. And I watched the first 40 minutes or whatever thinking, well, maybe now that I'm older, it'll resonate with me. And it didn't. So I feel okay about abandoning this one 40 minutes in. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> do you feel like all the jokes about our marriage falling apart because of this podcast are coming true? <laughs> <laughs> jokes? What, what jokes? <laughs> What do, Will what do you, the marriage survive? What do you feel like uh, the state of our marriage is right now? <laughs> pretty fun. <laughs> it is pretty fun. We just got back from Copenhagen. Yeah. We had a great time there. Yeah, this is be, this is much more... I'm going to be real. Like This is much more challenge. This whole... We've not done many of these recently because this is starting to feel like a chore in a way that isn't fun. <laughs> Not that chores are ever fun. It's still really fun for me. I'm sure it is. It's your list. <laughs> and uh, and I also enjoy doing chores like laundry. Yeah. And vacuuming I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I don't mind washing dishes. We're three years deep into this sucker and I'm ready. I'm ready to for it to come to its rightful conclusion. <laughs> We're going to get there though. I'm committed to finishing. It just might take us a little bit longer than we had planned. <laughs> Well, I think we're trying to average about every other week now. Well, it's been like a month, though. You know, I don't want to get into <laughs> the amount of time. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's documented. I'm sure we can look up how long it's been since the last episode. But uh, yeah, I think we're we we have our next few guests booked. I think we can stick to the every other week format. It's helpful to have guests as we're as we're wrapping this sucker up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because then it's like an extra commitment on our part where we really have to follow through and get it done. That's right. And that's helpful. Plus, it's fun. It's fun to have our friends on. It is an interesting kind of, it's such an interesting experiment, a psychological experiment, what we're doing. Like just kind of thinking of all of the different twists and turns it's taken in terms of like how much I, fun I was having. <laughs> <laughs> In the beginning with it, even though it felt like, you know, annoying, it was still funny. And now I'm like, just tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We're, we're only about 10 minutes into this episode, <laughs> by the way. So, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, <laughs> I really couldn't do it without you. So. Great. <laughs> I mean, there's always some, I'm, I've, I've said several times, Hey, let someone tag in and take the reins. On my end, <laughs> who's more on your level with these things? But the mere premise of the podcast would be violated by that. Right. right? That's why I'm committed to it. I'm sticking it out. I'm here. But I'm also going to be 
honest with you, if I'm going through this, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going through? Having to talk about Woody Allen stuff again is feels very frustrating to me. Like, I don't understand why this movie is on your list, honestly. So, but I'm about to find out. So prove me wrong, Craig, go. <laughs> well, Crimes and Misdemeanors is a 1989 film. Uh, this is kind of uh, a, a time where Woody Allen was experimenting with more serious movies. Uh, his previous year, he had done Another Woman with uh, Jenna Rollins and Mia Farrow, which was a straight up drama. And this movie is kind of a hybrid drama and comedy. So there's basically two stories. Uh, there's a, a story about a ophthalmologist named Judah Rosenthal, played by Martin Landau in an Academy Award nominated performance. Uh, and he has had a, a long-term affair, uh, with a woman named Miriam, played by Angelica Houston. Uh, he's hid it from his wife and he's starting to get threatening letters from, uh, Miriam, who's threatening to, uh, to reveal the affair to his wife. And so, uh, he arranges to have her killed. Mm. Um, his brother, uh, played by Law and Orders, uh, Jerry Orbach. Dirty Dancings. Uh, Chicago's. <laughs> Chicago's Jerry Orbach. I was just watching clips of Chicago with Gwen Verdon yesterday and he. He's the original it. Billy Flynn, right? He is. Yeah, he's wonderful in it. Which I knew because I had the soundtrack when I was a kid, but. Of the original cast recording? Yeah. But watching him, there, there's a clip from it, the Tonys from like the 1976 Tonys where he's singing. Oh, wow. On YouTube. It's really good. Really fun. Look it up, people. <laughs> uh, well, Jerry Orbach is great as kind of like, uh, Judah's like thuggish brother, uh, who I guess is a guy who knows how you can hire a hitman to just come and, uh, randomly kill somebody. Uh, and so the other half of the movie is Woody Allen is the lead and he's a document documentary filmmaker and he's arranged, uh, to kind of sell out and do this documentary on his brother-in-law played by a hilarious Alan Alda, mm -hmm. uh, who is apparently an analog for maybe Larry Gelbart. Uh, Who's Larry Gelbart? Larry Gelbart wrote Tootsie. He created MASH. He was a writer with Woody Allen on your show of shows in the 50s. Okay. Uh, and so some of the material that I was reading indicated that he might be a stand-in. And then so uh, he was basically Alan Alda's boss on MASH. Oh, funny. So that's a, a possible reference point So for this comedic filmmaker who's full of himself uh, and, and is kind of an arrogant asshole. And so – uh, Cliff would rather be doing documentaries on serious subjects, but instead, uh, for money is kind of arranged to make this documentary. And one of the producers on the film is, uh, is played by Mia Farrow. Uh, and, uh, and so they kind of have a flirtation while making this, but she ends up, uh, with Alan Alda and, uh, Woody Allen's marriage falls apart. Uh, Mia Farrow does end up with Alan Alda in this? She does, yeah. Ugh. So, uh, basically, I guess the crime in Judah's case is the, uh, is the murder. The misdemeanor in Woody Allen's case is, uh, I guess a the flirtation. No, I think it, it, it might refer to when he edits the footage together. It makes Alan Alda look bad. You know, he kind of, uh, oh. edit, edits together with, uh, footage of Mussolini. 
and footage of uh, Francis the talking mule, uh, basically to to say that Alan Alda is an ass. I guess oh, so. Um, at least I, it's not it's not that he's like basically cheating on his wife <laughs> with Mia Farrow. You don't think that has anything to do with it? Uh, well, they just kind of flirt with each other. Yeah. Yeah. They, okay. they don't sleep together or anything. Right. Um, so it could be that, you know, it could be a, uh, a misdemeanor of the heart. Right. Um, where he's considering being unfaithful to his wife. Um, but their marriage is already kind of on thin ice, uh, as the movie starts. Mm-hmm. But the connective tissue between the two is Sam Waterston's character. So Sam Waterston is a, a rabbi who's going blind. So Martin Landau is his eye doctor who's kind of treating him. Uh, but then he's also the brother of Woody Allen's wife and of Alan Alda mm-hmm. in the movie. So this character is kind of the through way to connect the comedy side and the drama side. What's that woman's name again? The actress who plays Woody Allen's wife? Joanna Gleason. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's the original Baker's wife. From Into the Woods. <laughs> so, you know the Broadway connection for uh, every actor who's in this movie. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I just think the uh, I think the the structure of the movie is really unique in his filmography. Uh, I, I like how it alternates between heavy drama and uh, and lighter comedy, uh, and then I think the the philosophical issues are interesting in the movie and i think the performances are are really great i think martin landau really deserved his nomination this is coming off uh he was nominated for tucker a man in his dream also on my list uh the previous year he ended up winning a few years later of course as bella lugosi and ed wood so he kind of had a late career resurgence after being out of the public eye for a while cool uh, so it, to me, it's really like Martin Landau's performance is the thing that makes this movie for me. Does he get away with it? He does. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing in all of these movies where somebody's trying to get away with murder or some other crime. Uh, they they always do in these Woody Allen movies. In these Woody Allen life. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to get into... I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> we already did. Go back and reference the earlier episodes. What numbers were those? Who knows? It can be looked up easily. Yeah. Uh, do you think I know off the top of my head what number Zelig was? I would think so, but I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> I thought you memorized everything. I have it all written down. Yeah. Yeah, but I think people like to do a biographical interpretation of his movies. So, you know, if you're a Freudian, you'll have a field day with like whatever he's really revealing or saying about himself with the subject of this movie. What if you're just a realist? If you're a Freudian or a realist, (laughs) (laughs) you know me, I'm so Freudian. So that's crimes and misdemeanors. (laughs) What What were your problems with it? Um, I don't know that I had big problems with it in that it was not well done or anything. I just wasn't connecting with it. I just didn't really care about anybody in it. Um, mostly just felt uncomfortable watching it. (laughs) Uh, yeah. I don't know. 
uh, it is kind of jolting the back and forth between the two storylines. It does feel like watching two movies to me. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it just didn't necessarily help me connect to it in any way. Um, I think it's uncomfortable to watch Mia Farrow and Woody Allen on screen together. <laughs> uh, I think it's. I wrote a note to myself, Woody and Mia, what chemistry? <laughs> Which they really did. I mean, they they made about 10 movies together. Yeah, I just find it all very sad and like, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel uncomfortable watching it. I felt uncomfortable watching it. And and then I just felt bad for Angelica Houston, which I know you're supposed to. um, But she also is really annoying and (laughs) her character is really annoying as well. Um, I figured he got away with it because... You know, I'd seen it, so I'm sure it was somewhere in the recesses of my brain, my memories. But also, it, I knew it was like match point. So, yeah, the, for all those reasons, it just wasn't my thing. Yeah, I think that the the reason I'm saying that, you know, watch it till the end is because of the final scene, mm-hmm. which kind of finally pairs together these two characters who don't know each other, who were kind of the, the protagonists of the two different halves of the story. So there's a wedding at the end and Sam Waterston's daughter is uh, getting married. Um, and uh, the Martin Landau and Woody Allen characters finally meet up and Martin Landau pitches. He hears that he's a. Uh, movie director so he pitches an idea for a movie of a guy who gets away with murder to him Martin Landau pitches Martin Landau pitches this movie to Woody Allen Uh, and uh, you know he realizes that he got away with it and and they kind of debate the philosophical issues of the movie and it's Mm -hmm. it's just a really well written scene and and then the movie kind of ends on the blind rabbi slow dancing with his daughter at the wedding. You know, it's a very kind of lovely shot. And then we, Woody Allen's been making this documentary on this professor, this philosophy professor throughout the movie. Right. And we hear echoes of, of that character talking uh, how we find joy and love from the simple things in life. But then also that like character, <laughs> the simple things like murder, <laughs> uh, but also the philosophy professor with this life affirming views commits suicide during the movie too. Mm-hmm. So that's also, it's kind of played for laughs, but that's also kind of a bleak thing right? <laughs> too. So uh, tonally, I, I just think it's, uh, it's interesting, you know? I saw this movie when it came out in 89. I think it went immediately on my list and it's been on the list uh, ever since. Well, I saw a little movie called Dirty Rotten Scoundrels when it came out in 1988 or perhaps 89 because I watched it on VHS. It came out in 88. I also saw that in the theater when it came out. And so my movie is about (laughs) two men uh, who are hustlers who, um, trick women into giving them money by pretending like they're in love with them. That sounds awful. How could you like a movie with those kind of lead characters? Because these two get what's coming to them at the end. That's how I can like this movie. <laughs> because at the end of this movie, the woman that you think is the damsel in distress the entire movie is actually the one. She's the puppet master. Wait, she's, wait, spoilers. She's the high status, spoilers. powerful person in this film. And she's shows them what's what with her 
brilliant mind and her ability to manipulate them in the end. And so that's why this movie deserves to be discussed <laughs> in comparison to the sad Angelica Houston who gets killed in crimes and misdemeanors and never gets justice for her death. Okay, so the older con <laughs> the, <laughs> the older con man is played by Michael Caine. Yep. Michael Caine. Good one. Michael Caine. Yep. Uh, playing Lawrence Jameson. And it, it's the, funny how that accent could easily be uh, a southern accent if you slowed it down. Do it again. Michael Kine. <laughs> Michael Kine. <laughs> it sounds like it's another saying, my cocaine. <laughs> my cocaine. Hey, get your hands off my cocaine. <laughs> uh, so playing Lawrence Jameson and the younger con man. Is Freddie. Freddie Benson, right? Yeah. Played by Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Originally, uh, you told me this, but then I researched it. It's a it's a remake of a movie called Bedtime Stories. <laughs> yeah, which I've never seen. I'm kind of interested with Marlon Brando and Shirley Jackson. Uh, well, you, you, Shirley Jackson is the author of The Haunting of Hill House. You're thinking of Shirley Jones? Shirley Jones, <laughs> yep. Can you move your foot? Sorry, you're up yeah. forward. Yeah, and David Niven is the uh, is the Michael Caine part. Yeah. And I actually looked up the plot of Bedroom Story. Did you as well? I did not. Mm -mm. And it's very the, – there's one key difference. Well, I would say two key differences, but the plot is very similar. Like the characters are named the same. It's like it's practically beat by beat the same plot for at least two-thirds of it. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea of Marlon Brando in a comedic role – you know, I just can't imagine. You? But even like the Ruprecht scene is from the original really? as well. Yeah. Which I think is why Steve Martin is doing a little bit of a Brando voice, oh, right? Funny. Yeah. I guess I didn't um, think about it like may that. May I go to the bathroom, please? Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Uh, but I think the two key differences are once they realize that she's not actually an heiress, mm -hmm. uh, that she's a contest winner, then the new game – uh, is who's going to sleep with her first. Oh, and in this one, Michael Caine is like, I'm not going to try to sleep with her, but I bet you can't sleep with her, right? Yeah. So, Because that happens in this movie too. Yeah. They realize that she's a contest winner and not an heiress. And so it changes from trying to get $50,000 to her to who can sleep with her first. And that's what Freddie says. And then uh, Michael Caine's character says, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But I bet you can't sleep with her. <laughs> Which kind of like, I like that too, because it shows that Michael Caine has some sort of ethics within this, you know, manipulative lifestyle that he's created. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that I, I like about this movie of this guy kind of re revealing like his basic decency. Yeah. He has know? like morals <laughs> or something. But then the whole idea of, of Janet being the jackal is not in the original movie. Okay. So that, that was added for this. Was so there a jackal in the original movie? I don't know if that term was in there. Okay. Interesting. I'd like to see the original. We should, we should maybe rent it. That'd be fun. It's supposed to be terrible, but, oh, really? but just out of curiosity. Yeah. But why would they remake it then? I guess, I mean, the plot is a good plot. Yeah. You know? Well, I read that it was actually the rights were acquired for Mick Jagger and David Bowie. Which is bizarre. <laughs> right? That's, that's so weird. And then somehow Frank Oz got the rights to it. And that's when. Then it was going to be made with Frank Oz and Jim Henson. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, uh, but I guess Dreyfus was Kermit. up for Freddie as well. Richard Dreyfus. 
Yeah, um, I I can't imagine. And they try to get John Cleese for uh what's his name? For Lawrence Jameson. For Lawrence, yeah. Yeah. And then they also tried to hire John Cleese as the butler, right? Right. Yeah, I mean John Cleese I think probably would have been great as well, but I think there's just something about the chemistry of Michael Caine and Steve Martin. Like I just so can't fun. I can't imagine anybody else in those pairings, which is what you want out of a remake or out of any movie really of like I it's perfect with these two. Yeah. You know, might have been a good movie with other actors, but it wouldn't have been this movie. Steve Martin's silliness. Yeah. Uh, that when it clashes with kind of Michael Caine's like sophistication is just really, it's like a classic comedy pair, you know, but it works so well. <laughs> yeah. Cause Michael Caine is an amazing actor. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he's having a good time in this. He looked, he's very relaxed. He's, it's such a relaxed performance. It really is. I yeah. Think. He's in control all the time, like as that character. Like he's never, even when he's losing the bet or it seems like he's losing, he's never freaking out. He's all, he always knows he has the upper hand, which is so fun. Yeah. It's just a great dynamic, uh, between the two of them. Something I noticed. Okay, so spoiler, at the end, you find out that the woman they've been trying to con, they've had this bet on, is actually the main con man. She is the jackal. You find that out at the very end. I can't spoil it. It's a really old movie. You guys should watch it if you haven't seen it by now. I have to sneeze. Hold on. (laughs) 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 Allergy season, man. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Glenn Headley plays uh, the jackal in this, right? And... uh, She's so watching this reminded me of like it brought back all the feels in terms of nostalgia because this movie and Dick Tracy were two movies that I loved when I was younger than 10 years old and watched over and over and over again. And is she Tess Trueheart yep. and Dr- Dick Tracy? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, just like I forgot how because I haven't really, I mean, unfortunately she passed away a couple years ago, which is really sad, but, um, like as much as Catherine O'Hara was a part of my, you know, childhood in the sense that she was in every movie, I feel like Lynn Headley was too. Uh, and so it was really fun to watch this again and kind of remember like how much I really loved her when I was a kid. It's really a shame. She deserved a bigger career because she's really great in this. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what happened in terms of, I mean, she kind of always worked, right? Like she was around, but I actually saw her once in person. Did I ever tell you this? No. I was doing temp work. This was like maybe seven or eight years ago in Beverly or I guess West Hollywood. And I was, I brought Benny to work with me one day and I was having him go to the restroom on my break outside. And this woman walked by and like basically like stared me down because I was blocking the sidewalk and just rolled her eyes at me when I looked at her and I said, Oh, sorry. And she rolled her eyes at me. And then as she walked away, I was like, oh, my God, that's Glenn Headley. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, I don't want this to be the thing. (laughs) This can't be the real life experience I have with one of my childhood idols. Oh, no. (laughs) But Catherine O'Hara hasn't let you down. Well, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, But the thing, the difference, I think, is like, well, a million things. But... Catherine O'Hara worked a lot more in movies that I really loved when I was an adult as well. Yeah. And I feel like Glenn Headley kind of disappeared in a way from 
my awareness at least. What else did she do? Do you know? No. <sighs> Me either. I should have prepared more for this. Sorry. Um, but she was in that TV show right before she passed away. The Night Of. Which she was wonderful in that. Yeah, she played a lawyer in that. Yeah. Yeah, like a really, again, like a very powerful woman, kind of manipulative, right? Yeah. Definitely in charge. It's so it's such an interesting contrast because she, her voice is so gentle, <laughs> you know? So to, to watch her play these women, it's really fun. Well, that's why, like, you don't even realize what a good performance she's giving until the final scene. Yeah. When she is in another persona. Right. You know, doing a completely different voice. She was um, from Steppenwolf, right? Yeah. She was a stage actor in Chicago. She was a member of the Steppenwolf company. I believe she was married to John Malkovich. That's crazy. For a while. Yeah. yeah. That's so fascinating. And she was around 28 or 29, I think, when they did this movie, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. Wow. She she makes the whole thing work in a really fun way. And she's not introduced in the movie till what do we say, about 45 minutes into yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, the structure of this movie is really interesting. And it's, can also it's be not compared save the with, cat, right? Well, it can be compared with crimes and misdemeanors in that sense of like it's not the typical like, yeah, she, her character, which becomes the focus of the story, isn't introduced until about forty five or fifty minutes into it. Um so she's really just her character initially is just kind of used as a way to heighten the the um, competition between the two men. Oh, it's so interesting. I, I really love that. It's very surprising. But the movie is fairly long for a comedy of like almost just shy of two hours. And I really didn't find a lot of fat on it. Yeah. You know, like it's the I wouldn't uh, cut much of it. Barbara Harris is in it as one of the. Um, heiresses, right? Yeah, I think she's the first one, basically, that we see Lawrence trying to seduce, right? Yep. So that's super fun. Um, and then what's her name from Six Feet Under? The mom? Frances Conroy. Yeah, she's in it as another one. Yeah. Well, she's the one in the Ruprecht scene, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that Ruprecht scene is like classic comedy for me my brother and i used to reenact that scene all the time at the dinner table <laughs> may i go to the bathroom please yes yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> why is the cork on the fork <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but steve martin like I, I he's he's still you know he's a suave motherfucker yeah you know in real life you know right uh and so like as Michael Caine is like the epitome of suave, uh, and Steve Martin is the equivalent of like a little more wacky in this, but he's still like very grounded and, and real, you know, and for all of like the buddy comedies that have been over the years of trying to match, you know, more of a, a, a straight man with a, a wackier character, uh, I, I really like this dynamic between the two of them because, because Steve Martin's, even though there are some broad things like a, around that, uh, the rubric stuff, uh, it's not that broad. Right. You know, it's still pretty believable. I, I wonder if that's why he gets away with it. Like in all of his kind of earlier stuff, I guess, where he's just such a lunatic and everything because he always, in the moments where he is grounded, he's like super grounded. Yeah. Well, some of those early Carl Reiner and yeah. Steve Martin comedies are, are very absurdist. Bonkers, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I love them all. The jerk. Is um, it fun to watch him though? I guess I just want to analyze this for a second. Is it fun to watch him do that because he seems like somebody who would be more straight laced in real life? I think so. Like his appearance is so straight laced. The idea that his hair was gray when he was still in his thirties is yeah. like so weird of like, you can't really pinpoint his age. Yeah. You know, yeah. and even like his stand up back, cause that was my first familiarity with him was from his stand up records when I was too young to be listening to them. Like I remember like my parents having a party where they put on a Steve Martin record and like I was told to like go out of the room cause it was too dirty for me or <laughs> whatever. Uh, but remembering him as like the wild and crazy guys on SNL, like it was always my favorite when, when he would host, he had a lot of TV specials around that time. Uh, and so, especially for like a kid, like he had this wacky persona of like the arrow through the head and making mm-hmm. balloon animals and everything. But he was basically doing like a performance art parody of wacky comedy, mm. you know, and there was, it, that's why Born Standing Up was such a fascinating memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to know of like how much craft he put into yeah. this comedy act that seems so off the cuff and weird and chaotic, but he put a lot of thought into everything that he did. So no matter how dumb he's playing, he always radiates intelligence as mm-hmm. a performer, you know? Right. And it's a weird contrast. Like he's in on the joke. He's in something. on the joke. Like yeah. he knows. Yeah. It's like a. Yeah. All right. Enough about Steve Martin. Let's talk about Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> wow. <Just kidding. laughs> JK, everyone. Uh, yeah. And then my big question for you when we were watching it, after we watched it, was were you, did you remember being surprised by her, the reveal that she is yes. the jackal at the end? Cause I couldn't remember if I was surprised or not. Absolutely. When I first saw it in the theaters in 1988, uh, I did not see the twist coming. Cool. Mid- I wonder if people would today who've never seen it. I probably, but who knows? You know, right? We're all much savvier now, and we are. Yeah. You know, we expect twists. I didn't. Uh, I know at the end that he says of like Janet Jackal, but but her name also is Janet Colgate, so Jack mm-hmm. Cole. Oh, did yeah. you ever get that before? No. Yeah. So that's kind of clever as well. Here's here's the one flaw in this is that the whole reason that they think that Freddy is the jackal is they read a newspaper article that says a young American con artist has been fooling people along the Riviera known only as the jackal. And so throughout the whole movie, uh, Lawrence and his associates, like the police chief and the butler who are like in on his crimes are like, oh, you're going to get the jackal of like, oh, the jackal's showing up. But yeah. if if. The jackal is, in fact, Janet, a woman. Like, wouldn't the article have said that? <laughs> oh, see, I don't think that that's a flaw necessarily. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's more of a flaw that they never say anything to him about being the jackal. Right. Like that, that, um, Lawrence is never like, we like, know you're the jackal. Yeah, exactly. You know, cause then Freddie would be like, who's the jackal? Right. Yeah. That, that to me is more of a bump than whether the article would have said it was female or male. Yeah. Benny has his butt in my face right now, everybody. <laughs> Get off me. Ow. Get off. Um, and yeah. I don't mean like it's a deal breaker. It's just interesting. Right. Like that's kind of a logical flaw in the, uh, one of the major premises of the movie. Totally. I, I mean, I see what you mean. Yeah. It just doesn't really bother me that much. 
I think. And that's why it's so great that they go away from the jackal for so long. Like, really, the, the first 45 minutes gives you the opportunity to kind of forget about, like, analyzing the idea of the jackal. Because you just assume that it is Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. So then you're able to just kind of let go of the idea yeah. for long enough that when she arrives, it's like they've already been manipulating women. So you think it's just going to be that. It's very well constructed, I think. Yeah. What is the funniest scene to you in the movie? Oh, for sure. The the Rupert scene. I uh-huh. think. Rup- yeah. Ruprecht? Ruprecht. Yeah. To me, of like the... Is I, it Ruprecht? I thought it was Rupert. You're probably right. You remember Prince Ruprecht? Yeah. Um, there's two really funny set pieces to me. Uh, one is something that was entirely improvised by Steve Martin, which is him trying to remember the name Lawrence Jameson in the jail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he goes through like every possible permutation. And I guess that was a scene where Frank Oz was just like, just let him go. Yeah. And, uh, see you know how much mileage he can get out of this just trying to remember yeah the name. it's just like it's classic steve martin set piece uh, oh i love the are you gonna say the the whipping the, thing the dr emile schaffhausen yeah. <laughs> that to me is an all-time top 10 comedy scene when he's whipping his way yes yeah so freddie uh has said to <laughs> freddie is pretending to be well, he's like a a paraplegic just because of a PTSD for PTSD. So right. he can walk, but he's not able to right now. Yeah, and uh, he says that you know he needs the fifty thousand to send him to the clinic of of Doctor Emil Schaffhausen. Yeah, uh, and then when and then somehow like uh, Lawrence's associates like overhear the conversation, right? So they get the name. And then, uh, Michael, when Michael Caine is revealed to be pretending to be Emil Schofhausen and Steve Martin, uh, knows that now Lawrence has the upper hand on him again and him trying to not react to him whipping the shit out of his supposedly <laughs> dead legs. Or oh, my name is not Dr. Emil Schofhausen. It is a fucking classic. And then knowing that she knows that they're, that, that adds a whole other layer to <laughs> that, that. They're lying in that moment. It's so fun. That's why it holds up well for repeated viewings of knowing that Glenn Headley is playing them the whole time. Yeah. You know, makes it so much more fun, <laughs> I think. <sighs> and then my memory, I, I forgot the final tag scene of her coming back. I guess I didn't really forget it, but the reveal of uh, that she's conned them and then her plane flying away as Michael Caine is laughing in Isn't delight. Isn't she marvelous? Is such a great ending that I'm like, oh, it doesn't need another ending, but you do kind of need it. I thought the same thing because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And when that, when the plane took off and Steve Martin's pissed and Michael Caine's like totally in love with her after they found out that she's the jackal. Yeah. I felt like, oh, that's the end. Why, why would there be this tag? And I knew the tag was coming. But yeah, and then but then watching it, she's so wonderful in those three or four minutes as a totally new two new characters. Yeah, and then she's got this whole tour group of 
uh, people that she's trying to sell real estate in Australia to. So she's bringing like all these suckers, rich suckers there for them to con together. It's the rare like double ending that works. It totally works. Like both endings are necessary and great. And there's something so satisfying about knowing that they're all going to start working together. Something I'd never noticed before and noticed for the first time when we finished it. Uh, after the tag scene, when they're walking back up to the house and like the camera pulls back and it's really far away and you just see the three of them arm in arm, link, linked arms walking to the house together, like they're about to go con all these tourists. Steve Martin's character, Freddie, like pulls away and tries to run off in the opposite direction and she like grabs yes. him and pulls him back. <laughs> yeah. So you still get like this wonderful relationship dynamic of like he's he, you know, because he's like probably the least savvy of all of them right he's kind of a dummy he's in over his head he's in over his head and he always knows it too which is why it's so funny to watch his character so just like that final play out of that relationship as the camera's pulling out you can't even hear what they're saying i think is so brilliant yeah and fun and she even tells him right before they start to walk up um as she's introducing them she introduces michael kane as this australian man Michael Caine has a Chipso beat. Tool. Chipso Tool. <laughs> he has a beat where he's like, uh, and then she's like, are you going to say something, Chips? And then he starts to speak in an Australian accent and it's great. And you're like, oh yeah, he's going to be perfect. And then she introduces Freddie as I forget his character's name, but she was like, oh, he's mute. And she yeah. like makes sure he doesn't say anything, <laughs> which just again, like tells you that throughout the whole experience, like Steve Martin was probably the one who was messing it up for them. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie was the one who was messing up the <laughs> it's great it's a great dynamic so why was there never a sequel i don't know and it made money too i think yeah from what i just read they are remaking it with um anne hathaway and, or they have and rebel wilson it's coming out just in a couple of weeks i yeah, think yeah the hustle i don't know i don't know either i don't know why she has a british accent anne hathaway unless that's part of the hustle maybe oh you just spoiled it well, I have no idea. Um, if it gets decent reviews, I'll see it. You I'm know? not an Anne Hathaway hater. I know. I Nor know, am I. I know a lot of people just, I, I'm always pretty much on board with her, actually. The Rebel Wilson thing is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm. Sure. Well, I think she's indicative of like that. I mean, she's a little too broad for me. Yeah. You know? I mean, she's super funny and what she does, she does well. I just don't know if she can carry a movie like this. Yeah. Sorry. Gosh, that's a, that's not very nice. <laughs> I'm going to go see it. I'm going to give it a chance. Okay. And I hope that I eat my words. All because right. Because I would like to be supportive. Did you ever see the musical version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? I did not with John Lithgow. It was supposed to be good though. It was. Yeah. I never saw it. It came out like 2005. I was reading. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, Norbert Leo Butts was the uh, Steve Martin role. Norbert Leo Butts. He's a big Broadway star, but he's currently playing Patty Chayefsky in uh, Fosse Verdon. Oh. Who's Patty Chayefsky? (laughs) Well, he's Bob Fosse's friend. He wrote Marty and Network. Uh, is his main claim to fame. Is he the he's one who's like taunting him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's his. That's such a good show, you guys. Gotta watch it. Carla's really into Fosse Verdon. Super into it. To the point where you were watching 1976 Tony Awards clips. <laughs> yesterday, uh, yeah. Yesterday. 
Anything else you want to say about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? No, I just think it's super fun and it's a nice palate cleanser after crimes and misdemeanors. And uh, yeah, um, well, thanks for allowing us to change the rules slightly for this. So it, it held up for you. It did. Yeah. Is this a top 40 movie for you? Or? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I could watch over and over again, which is more important to me than anything else in terms of a top movie list. Something I can watch again and again is great. I would say this, like I've, uh, I've always liked the movie. I liked it a lot when it came out. Um, my list is maybe a little biased against comedies for some reason. Like I don't have enough of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a top 100 movie for me, but I think it should definitely be on my second list Great. of additional favorites wow. so uh i was happy to be reminded of this movie and uh and how much i enjoy it uh and uh i really thought it was a delight it's an a yay thanks craig sorry i hated crimes and misdemeanors <laughs> <laughs> well we do have a few just a few carla's quotes okay she's feeling her oats and craig's taking notes whatever they are it's carla's quotes Early in the movie, when Judah gets the letter from his mistress, uh, and you said, uh, uh-oh, crimes and misdemeanors are about to happen. What's this one going to be, a crime or a misdemeanor? <laughs> and then Angelica Houston's a voiceover starts in, dear Miriam Rosenthal, and Carla said, crime. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, he's reading the letter. He's reading the letter at home. That's really funny. <laughs> Are you laughing at yourself? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's reading the letter at home, and Carla says, put it in the fire, and he does. <laughs> so maybe you just don't like to get inside the head of uh, somebody who's- Psychopaths. Of psychopaths, because you're, uh, you're, you're such an empathetic person, you know, <laughs> that being asked to uh, empathize with somebody who's ultimately horrible. Um, there's a running thing in this movie of Woody's character, uh, is, uh, who is she actually? She's his niece. He's taking his niece, who's about 11 years old, uh, to a bunch of old movies. So he and his niece, uh, this 11 year old girl (laughs) walking out and Carla said, is that his girlfriend? Is that his stepdaughter is going to be his girlfriend? Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Carla also said, I don't remember Woody Allen being in this at all. So you, <laughs> so you just wiped it out of your mind. Uh, as soon as Sam Watterson appeared, Carla said, I love him. I love him. <laughs> Grace and Frankie, anyone? That's your show. <laughs> and we keep hearing stories of people who have worked on Grace and Frankie saying how nice all the leads, Jane, Lily, Sam, and Martin are. Of course they are. <laughs> They're pros. As soon as Jerry Orbach appeared, Carla said, nobody puts baby in a corner. (laughs) (laughs) These are good ones. We tried at one point. I think we watched like maybe a half hour of it again. And, uh, and then we tried to restart at the same point. I said, is this where you fell asleep? And you said, I don't know. I don't really care about this movie. (laughs) Uh, but these are the things Carla notices in old movies. Look how cheap gas was. Yeah. It was 103 a gallon. Oh my God. Back then. Uh, my autocorrect sa- changed Sam Waterston to Sam Waterfront. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which would be a great name for a private detective. I think Sam Waterston is one of the best actors of all time. Now that we're on the topic. If we're really getting into it? If we're really getting into it, I I really do. Just in terms of like always delivering. Yeah. Like I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where I was like, oof, this doesn't work, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's got pretty great range. I think he's... I mean, just from years of Law and Order, I mean, he's basically the TV equivalent of Atticus Finch, right? Just right. like Gregory Peck, he like radiates kindness and decency, you know? Yeah. Uh, interesting that both Jerry Orbach and Sam Waterston are in this movie. Well, it's the New York actor thing, right? Yeah, I guess so. New York actors are a little like British actors of like you watch enough BBC shows or Game of Thrones, you see the same 12 people a lot, you know, and then you realize how much smaller the acting community really is in New York compared to L.A. I started watching Gosford Park again last night. Oh, really? Which I hadn't seen since it was came out in the theater. And the whole time I was just like, oh, this is just like (laughs) this is like a BBC bonanza, a BBC bonanza. Of like just one British actor after another. <laughs> yeah, they're all in I mean, it, I right? know that it's a British movie with the exception of like Bob Balaban or whatever. And Ryan Phillippe. Right. But like it's kind of shocking that they're all in this one movie together. Like all of all of the British actors of all time. <laughs> yeah. But they're not like um, Emma Thompson famous British actors. I mean, I guess Maggie Smith, you know, is... But it's like just those that person that you see in everything. We're like, oh yeah, that's if that's a British person who's like in everything. <laughs> so that guy and that lady are both in it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that. But that British guy and that British lady yeah. are both in it. <laughs> that bloke. Yeah. And that bird are both in it. It's a really pretty film to watch. How much did you watch? Probably about a half hour. And I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Altman movies hold up well for repeated viewings because like there's so much that you miss because oh, there's like sure. there's so much dialogue all over the place and there's so many subplots and everything. You know? I remember walking out of that film when I saw it in the theater and being like, I think I understood a couple things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, here's Carla and Woody Allen. He's got the body of a little boy. Oh, <laughs> some stuff you don't have to repeat. <laughs> Here's another uh, connective tissue uh, with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. He goes to his, or uh, Judah, uh, Martin Lando, goes to visit his childhood home. And he has a vision of uh, his family, like back when he was a kid, like arguing over philosophical and moral issues. But the homeowner who shows him in the house is Frances Conroy. Weird. Uh, So she was working a lot before... Six feet under. Um, that I think is all. Oh, and one of the wedding guests, Nora Ephron. Weird. <laughs> uh, so that's all the quotes I got for CNM. Great. Um, you want to give it a letter grade? For crimes and misdemeanors? Yeah. A B minus. A B minus. <laughs> that seems overly kind for you. Well. What does that B stand for? Um... Uh, it stands for bleak. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bleak. Uh, no, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to rag on this movie too hard. When I, you know, it's hard when I don't connect to something. I can't really have a. Um, it doesn't feel fair to grade it when I don't connect with it. Sometimes I connect with it and I really dislike it. Sure. 
But this one I just didn't connect with at all. So yeah. it doesn't seem fair to I hear grade it. I think it's uh it's an A minus. Um and this is what I'll say in terms of the list, which is again, there's like seven Woody Allen movies on the list as we approached it uh at the beginning of this. I think I've already said that Zelig is coming off the list. Which I like better than this. Sorry. Uh, and I like, I like Zelig a lot too. But here's the thing. It's not science, right? It's not like science scanned my brain and printed out 100 movies that are just locked in there, right? right. You know, there, there's a conscious choice of like what to highlight, you know, and it's obviously different of me keeping the list by myself for years and then putting it out there in public and right. saying like, this is who I am and this is what I want to celebrate, right. you know, and I just don't want to be the guy who's going out of his way to celebrate this particular filmmaker. Right. You know, and particularly for this movie, because it's about moral and ethical issues, I just don't think that he has the moral high ground to make this movie. I mean, right. it's 30 years ago or, right, or whatever. Right, right. So although it's a well acted, constructed and written movie, the basic philosophical underpinning of it crumbles when you consider who the filmmaker is. Right. And so that turns it from something that's well made into something that's uh, a little sketchy yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and so i feel like that i can't honor it because of that and so it's coming off the list what <laughs> what that's amazing and i want to say i have to say this i really appreciate that craig and we can stay married <laughs> <laughs> just kidding was it really depending on that no but i really honestly do i think that that's really great of you to like be able to say that and to and i do understand what you're saying in terms of like hey guys this is a hobby that i've had since i was a kid where i keep lists of things and i've never had to present my case for things like this in public <laughs> in a public way at least um to our five listeners uh or 5000 who knows <laughs> um and uh i think that that's really um it's very a sophisticated move on your part uh and it's also like it shows that you are a good guy <laughs> to be able to say like hey this isn't something that i want to go to bat for anymore well also like we change and then art changes in relation to society you know yeah and uh i i think you know the the last movie he made wonder wheel was the first one that i've ever skipped so mm -hmm. i didn't see it i won't see it um these, this is probably the last time watching all of these movies. Right. For me. Right, we're, right, we're about right. to watch Annie Hall, Hannah and Her Sisters in Manhattan. Yeah. So probably be the last go through that, that I can imagine for, for all of them. I don't think Annie Hall or Hannah and Her Sisters are coming off the list. Right. You know, Manhattan might. Right. But we'll, we'll have to see, you know. And I, and I'm not trying to take the moral high ground here and say that I am totally blameless or better than any of those movies because I love Annie Hall and Hannah and her sisters. And for years thought that Hannah and her sisters was one of my favorite films, like top 10 for sure. Yeah. So like, that's going to be very 
I don't know. It's going to be an interesting thing for me to sit through that again and then have to talk about it. Well, I think it's something we're all wrestling with, with artists of all sorts who have committed all sorts of offenses, you know, Mm -hmm. ranging from literally criminal to just morally criminal or just doing, you know, just being bad people, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they haven't committed a, a criminal offense, you know, but, uh, Everyone just has to make up their own mind, you know, with regards to each piece of art that you're considering, you know. Well, especially, again, when you're talking in terms of, like, putting it on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, you have to be able to stand behind your choices in that way and and be okay with saying, this is on my top 100 list and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if I feel like I really can't stand behind it, then there's no reason to keep it on the list. And why not celebrate or, or highlight something else that I also feel strongly about? Maybe from a female filmmaker? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you know any? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, I, I, I just teasing. I think that that's super great. And I really appreciate you for being able to say that. And I feel like you've grown a lot. I have too in the process of all of this. In this last hour. (laughs) This is probably our best episode in terms of like a real behind the scenes look (laughs) into what's What a twist. What a twist ending, right? Yeah, for real. You didn't see it coming that she was the jackal. You didn't see it coming (laughs) that crimes and misdemeanors would be taken off the list. Did not see it coming. I feel like I just want to end on this because it feels like such a strong way to end this particular episode all right so no improv scene i don't know i don't want to i don't want to cheapen what we just experienced this whole like um i feel like you just leveled up as a film critic (laughs) (laughs) well carla next up is number 14 on my list it's a 1977 film (laughs) by woody allen no is it really (laughs) yes (sighs) (sighs) what you have what they they're back to back they're back to back i really didn't know i had uh, no idea this movie won best picture best director best actress for diane keaton oh my god i can't believe we're doing these back to back it's called annie hall Annie is one of our favorite uh, comedic Annies, and we have another one of our favorite comedic Annies. Annie Savage is going to come and Yay. talk about the movie with us. So if you're a Thrilling Adventure Hour fan, Work Juice Players fan, uh, Annie is a good friend of ours who's never been on the podcast before, and we're going to make her talk about Annie Hall. Yay. Oh, wow. So Craig's listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in a couple weeks for Annie Hall. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.